0: what's up everybody welcome back to the clear out podcast hosted by matt brooks that's me uh we are brought to you by blue wire podcasts and uh today i'm recording this from not so sunny california i'm in the bay area right now which is where i'm from originally i know there's People think I'm from Minnesota, or I don't. I don't know where else people. Arkansas. I, I have no idea where people think I'm from. There's always something different, but I'm from the Bay Area, from uh, near San Francisco area uh, in California. So here for the holidays. After a couple delays, I'm sure, like many other people, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a bumpy ride, but did finally get here with family. It's been nice. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, obviously, we are here to talk about the streaking. Brooklyn Nets, they have won 10 straight games, won 14 of their last 15. Um, hopefully won another one uh, by the time you're listening to this against Charlotte on New Year's Eve. Um, I'm just trying to get this done before New Year's Eve starts. So um, yeah, uh, I just they're playing as well as I've seen the Nets play. You know, I'm sure if that Kyrie and KD and Harden team had had any sort of continuity, we would have seen them have a performance like this but those guys were never never really healthy together so this is about as good of basketball as i've seen the nets play they're, they're winning the most games since like 2006 they're they're just playing pretty insane basketball right now on the longest winning streak in the entire league at any point this season and I, i'm you know i think it's starting to get some coverage um you know I, which i know Nets fans have been kind of craving and uh, it seems like nationally they're starting to get a little bit more recognition Um, the title of this podcast is, is the, are the Brooklyn Nets the best team in the league? I'm going to probably answer that at the end. I think I have an answer for that. So, but I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. So let's, um, let's just start. I think I have a good place to start. So I, I clipped up the Cavaliers Nets game from a couple days ago, which to me was the most conclusive game of the season. Like I just had the most takeaways from that game just based on going through it, um, and I, it was fun. I, I I did it in the morning here because I'm up so dang early because of uh the, the Eastern Standard Time conversion of Pacific time. So I'm up at like six AM uh clipping this game and uh my dad joined me for it and like one of his big things that he had to say about it was that or you know, we we kind of agreed on this is the big difference between this year's Nets team and maybe other teams is just how hard they play. And I think that's been the most refreshing thing. Like, this is probably the most I've enjoyed watching a Nets team since maybe the the, the very infamous 2018-2019 team, the D-Lo Nets, um, the year that Jared Allen and Joe Harris found their footing, that, you know, they clawed in as the seven seed. Um, this is just the hardest I've seen the Nets play. You know, I thought that in the Atlanta game, where Durant, like, you know, blocked the shot and dove out of bounds and threw it off, I don't remember who, it might have been A.J. Griffin, um, that was pretty emblematic of how the Nets have played this year. Like they they are clearly taking the regular season seriously, which is something I think all of us have wanted for a really long time. Um and they're playing like the way that a young team like the Cavaliers, who are looking to establish themselves um, you know, in in the league's hierarchy and, and going all out night after night after night. That's something we typically see from young teams, from teams like the Sacramento Kings, who are looking to prove something. The Nets are doing that as a team, you know, as a title contender, as a team with multiple superstars. And you're seeing that from the top down. A lot of that goes to the job that Jock Vaughn has done. But it's just been refreshing, I think, in large part. Um, you know, and and for the most part, there, yeah, they're, there are nights where they don't have the requis- requisite intensity. But I think in large part, they've been, you know, beating the teams they're supposed to be um, against... Teams that are top end talent, you know, like the Cavaliers, like the Bucks, they're showing up. They're not only showing up, but they're showing that they're a level above these teams, which is something we did not see last year from the Nets, um, you know, with Durant and Harding, uh, Harden while Kyrie was out. You know, I remember at this time last year, they were in a pretty similar p- position, if you remember this. Um, Durant was playing out of his mind. Nets, I don't know if they were leading the conference at this point, but they were certainly in the, the realm of that. Um, and they, and they looked like this juggernaut team. And it was all kind of like, all right, once Kyrie gets back, these guys are going to be, you know, kind of killing it. That was before everything went wrong. Durant gets hurt. But the one thing that they couldn't do at that point was beat elite teams. Um, they lost the Suns. They lost the, the Warriors. Um, all these teams that were kind of top end teams. Um, they lost at home too, pretty convincingly. And this year that, that script is flipped. They've been able to take care of teams like the Bucks, like the, uh, the Cavaliers, and, and maybe the Celtics whenever they play them next. I think January 12th is the next time. Though I've learned that game is on a back-to-back, so we'll see if Boston plays their guys. But regardless, it's just been refreshing. Um, it's been nice to watch the Nets show up and show they're in that class and take these games seriously. And I think to kind of break this podcast up, um, I wanted to just go through what they're doing on defense, what they're doing on offense, and... Um, And just kind of talk about what I'm seeing. And a lot of this is just based on some of the clips that I have in that Cleveland game, which I thought, again, was just really emblematic of who they are. So, we'll start with the defense. The Nets are ninth in defense according to Cleaning the Glass. It's been higher, it's been lower, but that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, Just going through the numbers, and, you know, I'm looking at things like opponents' field goal percentage on three-pointers. Numbers at the rim. Um, frequency of shots allowed. There's nothing that's too, you know, nothing stands out. It wasn't like last year's team where the defense was top 10, but opponents were shooting like 12% from three. So it's kind of like a fake good defense, you know, like it was, there was always going to be a shooting regression that was going to hit. And guess what? It hit and the Nets dropped to like bottom 15 defensively. Um, this year numbers check out and it's because they're doing a lot of things that are sustainable, and, and it's just been, <clears throat> it's been really fun to watch. I just haven't watched, I mean, let's be honest, we haven't had a Nets team with Kyrie and KD that does it on both ends. So I don't even know where to start with this. Um, you know, I guess we'll start the, the fulcrum of this defense is the shot blocking on the inside. You've got two guys in Claxton and Durant who are both averaging career highs and, and blocks, um, they're 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 basically, it's just really interesting. They're both able to switch out onto the perimeter and play great individual defense, and that's something I'll get into in just a second. But even when you have one of those guys pulled out to the perimeter, you're always going to have the other one standing inside, ready to block shots. They've both been great, 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 great in terms of how they've played from the weak side. It feels like any shot that goes up within six feet of, of Nick Claxton is, is liable to be blocked. And Durant's been also very attentive in this setting. Um, and, and even just when guys go against them individually, when, when guys go at them in isolation, they're able to hold their own. Durant's been as tough to score on as I've seen it. Um, and, and I think a big part of this is just Nick Claxton has reached the point defensively that I've been very high on him. i I've, did a video probably two years ago, this was when they had, it was like right after they got, maybe it was, it was just about him, but I, I know I said it in one of these two videos, there was a video I did about Nick Claxton, there was a video I did about Nick Claxton, um, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Blake Griffin, and in that video, I said that, you know, Nick Claxton has defensive player of the year potential, like I, I truly felt that, and I'm not somebody that like throws around stuff like that, I, I just, I don't know, that's very hot takey, and I'm not Usually like that, but I just felt watching him, because of how good he was as a switch big, which is so important as a center to be able to guard all five positions, it just means you're able to stay on the floor against anybody. If he was able to just bulk up a little bit, you know, improve as a guy that's, you know, rotating over from the weak side and be that secondary shot blocker to match how good he was as a primary shot blocker... Um, and, and just you know g- gain a little bit more scheme versatility, I really truly felt like he could be one of the best defenders in the league, if not a guy that could be a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. And he's already there at what age twenty three? I think he's twenty three. You know, and 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 I I do think we're going to see Nick Claxton at the end of the year as somebody that's in the voting for defensive player of the year, which is insane to say, but you know, I I always felt like this was sitting there for him just because he had that baseline of being such a ridiculous, maybe, maybe the best switch big in the league at a very young age. Um, you know, I'm sure like Evan Mobley is somebody that would have something to say about that. Um, there are a couple other guys. Bam Adebayo is probably the best switch big in the league, but Claxton, you know, being somebody that's 6 foot 11, a true true 6 foot 11 with a 7 foot 2 wingspan that can switch out into the perimeter like that. Just had this insane potential that somebody like Bam who is very very good, very very good defender, obviously defensive player of the year candidate uh perennially as well, doesn't quite have because he's closer to like what 69 610. Um so it it's just been it's been really refreshing and I I feel like in a way and I don't want this to take away from what Durant's doing because I have plenty of good things to say about him as well. Um You know, Nick Claxton has been, in large part, like, he he looks to me like a Rudy Gobert type in that, not in terms of how he plays defensively, but somebody that, if you have him at the center position, you're good for being a top 10 defense pretty much no matter who's around him. And I, you know, maybe top 12 is where I would settle. But you're going to be in the top half of the league just by having this guy... Manning the middle, because he's so good at contesting shots, um, and he's he just makes guys think twice, and I think that as he gets, you know, more and more of a name for himself in the league, guys are gonna, you know, guys are gonna fear him inside, I mean, we've already seen that teams are way less willing to go at him on the perimeter, I think that's why you're getting less instances of him flashing his ability to switch as a big, because teams are just smarter, they're saying, alright, maybe we're not gonna do this. Um, so it's just been nice to see Durant has been similarly lethal and, you know, all the ways that I just mentioned, um, yeah, he's not quite the athlete that Nick Claxton is. So you're not seeing some of those skyscraping blocks, but he's been really attentive. He's been, you know, just like, like Nick, he's been really good at recognizing when his teammates are in trouble, um, especially from the point of attack, which is something we'll get into in just a second, but I, I just have nothing but good things to say about him. And again, like having those two guys sitting there, sometimes both of them are contesting shots on the same play, which is wild, but at least having one of those guys in all the time in your starting lineups or those lineups where, you know, it's, it's Nick and KD sharing the floor. It's just a huge luxury to have. And I think just playing that, having that for 30 plus, you know, really probably 35 plus minutes of the, on the, of the game, um, or maybe probably closer to like low thirties. Um, I could probably look that up. How many minutes they're averaging per game? Regardless, um, it's just a huge luxury. So I've liked that. It's been nice to to see that. Uh, they're doing other things too. Um, you know, somebody, somebody like Ben Simmons is is really starting to flash what he can do. Um, you know, get into passing lanes. His, he's got such quick hands. His weak side rotations have been really good. He's a little bit less like you know a Nick Claxton or a KD where he's disturbing shots with, you know, his his long wingspan. No, no, Simmons is more of a guy that's like almost ahead of the play. He had a couple rotation against the Cavs where he rotates, you know, so the like the Cavs run something like a side pick and roll, and the Nets send two to the ball against, you know, Donovan Mitchell or, you know, Darius Garland. And it's it's like Lamar Stevens, I think, is the play I'm thinking of is rolling to the rim, he gets the pass, and before he can even catch and get a shot up, Simmons is already there contesting outside of the restricted circle, basically taking away any opportunity for the shot. So Simmons is just such a disciplined defender in that sense where his positioning is sound. Uh, His recognition is about as good as you're going to see on this team. He doesn't even look like the same guy laterally just yet, but there's a world where he gets better and better and he gets quicker moving laterally, And you really get to see like how good he can be at the point of attack because the screen navigation is still there. The way he gets around screens as well uh, is is just sound. And the way he picks up guys full court is is amazing. But it's that moving left to right that I think we're going to see hopefully improve as the season goes. He's just a wild card for the Nets and just provides things that nobody else on the roster can do. Um, for as good as KD and Claxton are, they don't get around screens like Simmons does. Um, they aren't really as disruptive as Simmons is. Simmons plays up in the guys very closely. Neither one of, I mean, Claxton likes to play with a cushion when he's guarding guys on the perimeter because he knows his wingspan can make up for the difference. is very similar. Simmons is a guy that's going to press you, make it uncomfortable, make even taking your first dribble uncomfortable. And he's just been a lot of fun to watch. And I have, again, yeah, i I' I don't know if I've tweeted this, but I just can't see the idea of trading him at all. The the potential is huge with him. Yes, there are concerns in the playoffs, but this is about as good of a a crucible for him to succeed, and um, he just provides different things, especially defensively for the Nets. Um, Other things I've liked, the scram switching, the... The way the Nets are rotating has been really, really fun to watch recently. Um, they So for those that don't know, scram switching is where, because the Nets are a switching defense. and They've been switching very well. They've been picking when to switch. They've been picking when not to switch. And I think a ton of credit goes to Vaughn and the coaching staff for that, the players as well for recognizing these things and not being a team that soft switches so much, which I think bothered all of us a ton in previous seasons. And I think it bothered guys like Durant quite a bit because he's mentioned that. A lot, um, but the scram switching. So what that is is let's say let's say the Nets are playing the Cavs, right? And Darius Garland's you know handling the ball, Kyrie's guarding him, and the Cavs have Evan Mobley set a screen for Darius Garland to get Kyrie switched on to Evan Mobley, um, and, and 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 they're going to try to post him up that way. So Mobley gets deep post position, Kyrie's guarding him. It's a mismatch. But before Darius Garland can make the entry pass, the Nets have been really good at these scram switches where a bigger player like, let's say, Kevin Durant, um, he's guarding, we'll say, Lamar Stevens. He leaves Stevens to go kick Kyrie out of this matchup so that Kyrie scurries off to Stevens in the corner. And now Durant is guarding Evan Mobley before Darius Garland can make the entry pass. So now when Garland makes the entry pass... The Nets have a much more advantageous matchup of Durant, who's been great, as I've mentioned, um, guarding guys in isolation, guarding post-ups, and they're not in this position where we've seen this so many times. You have an opponent, um, a bigger opponent, posting up or isolating or whatever um, against one of the Nets' smaller guards, Kyrie being one of those guys. So it's been refreshing, and the Nets have been about as good as I've seen them at this, especially recently. They've just been so much more decisive with this. They're way, way ahead of plays. They're doing it in transition. Um, they're doing it on you know the weak side of the floor. It's just happening all over, and it's been really refreshing to watch. Um, and in general, I just think the way they're switching is much more intuitive. And I think that's been the biggest change this year, is there is a sense of focus with this team, as I mentioned, This is a team that plays really hard. That's reflected in how they switch this year. So the scram switching has been an absolute delight to watch. Um, And I'd encourage you to watch for that in games. Watch how much they get into these bad matchups. It doesn't happen as much as you'd think um, for a team that switches as much as the Nets do. Um, So that's a big one. That's big. That's key. Anything switching-wise or their best possessions— there's a couple of really good switches up top, but it's the scram switches that really make these these plays what they are. And they're even starting to mess with, you know, some of their weak side rotations a little bit. They're starting to implement X-outs a little bit more. X-outs are weak side rotations where two guys essentially swap positions. I did a video on my Twitter, and if, if you want, um, just you could literally, if, if you're on Twitter... You could type my name at Matt Brooks NBA and just type the word X out, and I'm sure there's a breakdown I've done at some point on on what X outs are. But they're essentially when two uh, guys on the weak side of the floor exchange matchups um, between of like guys that are spacing the floor on offense for the other team. It, that sounds it sounds more complicated than it is, but they're starting to do that. That's just a, a rotation that happens at the end of possessions, um, and it's to force the extra pass with the shot clock expiring. The Nets are starting to do that. Um, So they're doing little things. They're implementing things as the season goes. They've already started to really have a good grip on the scram switching. Let's see if they can do the X-outs next. Let's see if they can do those extra rotations. Um, And it's just been fun to watch. So they have this baseline of having these two insane shot blockers in Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant and, to a lesser degree, uh, Ben Simmons. And that's the bedrock of their defense. And now they're starting to tinker with things and experiment with things. And it's all because they have the confidence of saying, you know what? We have these two guys inside cleaning up mistakes. And Jacques Vaughn touched on that the other day. You know, saying, hey, it's such a luxury to have somebody like Nick manning the back line. Sometimes we need to remember that we can't rely on him too much. We need to stay in front of the ball, um, but that's the luxury that you have with somebody like Nick and and somebody like KD. So, yeah, it's it's just been it's been fun. Um, other thing that I thought was interesting, I, I did this with Coast to Coast, uh, who great podcast. I just shared that, or I'm going to share that on my on my Twitter um, once I'm done recording this. One thing that he brought up, which I was thought was a great stat, um, was that. Um, The Nets are number one in individual defense, uh, guarding isolations, excuse me, in the NBA. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth on this and he was kind of talking about how they do it differently than maybe some of the other teams like the Celtics or I think, I don't remember who the other team was, but the Celtics was one of the teams that he brought up as this team that was stocked up with wings. And it was very interesting to see the Nets, you know, play the way they have, given that they don't. Have like they've got a lot of wings, don't get me wrong, but you know, they don't have these like Jason Tatum, you know, top end wing defenders. They have a lot of really good wing defenders, but nobody really top end. And my pushback to that was that I do think they have wings, top end wing defenders. The difference is their wings aren't six foot nine, six foot eight, six foot eight. Um their wings are seven feet tall. And that's why they're so good at guarding isolation. Like Nick Claxton, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, those are their best perimeter defenders. And and Nick and, and Kevin are atop the league in isolation defense. And, and they profile as wings, right? They profile as wings with how they move and who they guard. Um, but they're seven feet tall. And that's just nobody else in the league really has that nobody. I can't think of anybody else in the league that has that luxury of having two guys that are like that, that are guarding opposing teams, best players. Like we think about the Dallas game from earlier in the year, the Nets just stuck KD on Giannis, uh, excuse me, on Luka. And, uh, and, and, and it worked. It worked. It was the first instance of like, Hey, maybe we should be looking at KD. I remember thinking this for the first time, like we should probably be looking at KD as like a guy that can be on one of the defensive teams because of how impressive he was in that game and how confident the Nets felt about putting him on Luka. Klax is the same way. I mean, as I said, teams don't even go at him anymore because there's such a pedigree about him as a guy that can guard the perimeter. So it's fascinating. Um, and, And that's, I think for me, is one of the many things that makes this team so unique. They have wings. They have these top end wing defenders. They're just seven feet tall. They're very, very unique. This is a very unique defensive team um, in terms of how they play. And they're not doing anything... You know, when you look at the numbers, it's kind of hard to figure out what makes this team so, so great. The shot blocking is there, yes. But, you know, they don't have, like, your Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday types guarding the perimeter, which I'll get into in just a second. They don't have these, like, guys that are making it impossible for you to get in your sets. Maybe Simmons will get there. Um, They just have this really unique profile of being a team of giants that moves around and covers space so damn well. So it's fascinating. Let's talk briefly about the weaknesses. The weaknesses are pretty obvious. Um, If we want to talk about the backup center positions, sure. I have no interest in talking about trades. I'm going to be real with you guys. You've come to the wrong place. If you want trade talk, that's just not me. I like to talk about what we're watching instead of, I don't know, players the Nets probably don't get. Um, sorry, I'm so cynical about trades, but I, I just am. Um, this is not a team that's super active at the deadline. Hopefully they are this year, but I I don't know. I'm, I'd rather talk about what we're watching right now because it's just about the best Nets basketball we've been able to watch. Weaknesses. Um, going back to this Cavs game. I've harped on it all year. Point of attack defense. Kind of asked the coaches about it. Vaughn hasn't really acknowledged it. Because I think they feel pretty good about their switching and having Klax and KD on the perimeter. I can't blame them. But I will say, that Cavs game, you got a little preview about the only guys that can really get theirs against the Nets are these small quick guards. Darius Garland being a great example one of the quickest players in the league. He was able to get by guys, but not just get by guys, find areas of the floor that the Nets just don't quite have any defensive presence. You know, getting shots at the rim is really hard against the Nets because of somebody like Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant. But if you have like a nice little floater game, which Darius Garland has one of the best floaters in the league. You can kind of get what you want against this Nets team. And granted, there aren't many teams that have that. And certainly, I can't think of anybody, like the Celtics aren't a team that profiles like that. Maybe the Warriors, who, by the way, lurk in the West, in my opinion. Um, They lurk. They're just waiting for Curry to come back. Gominguez starting to play better. I'd love if we got, you know, a a Warriors-Nets finals. Sorry, I'm looking way ahead, but that kind of tells you where I'm at on them. Um, so maybe there's a couple teams out West. Jaw Morant is another one in the, in the Grizzlies. That's a team that I I could see giving the Nets some trouble just because jaw has got a really nice in-between game, um, and is so damn quick. So there are teams that profile like that. And that's the one position of need, I would say. And I thought that Cleveland game showcased that. Just if you have a really quick guard, the Nets for as good as they are, they don't quite they don't quite have the requisite whatever oomph at the point of attack to counter that. Is that going to do them in against most teams? No. Is that going to do them against like the Bucks, who are so unathletic outside of Giannis? Absolutely not. The Nets are really well equipped to handle that team. Cleveland is probably one of the worst matchups for the Nets in the conference. And we saw that the Nets have a game plan against those guys. Until Cleveland gets you know, a real three and D wing, they're just going to leave Lamar Stevens and Evan Mobley open and crowd the paint. And that's a counter for, you know, this weak point of attack defense. If you just bring in that extra defender, suddenly you're taking away those floater opportunities. And Cleveland has to answer that question before the playoffs come around. I don't know if they will. So, you know, I think that was interesting to watch. That was very interesting to watch. There's, there, it really, it's got to be the perfect off, well, that's probably too far, but there is, it's, I just like how the Nets profile defensively against all types of opponents right now, and they always have a built-in counter, and that speaks to the, you know, the job that the coaching staff is doing, but just also, like, how versatile these guys are, and how much smarter they're playing. But, if there is one weakness, I think that point of attack stuff is, is probably it. So we'll see if anybody can expose that all right let's move on to the offense and there's no better place to begin than with Kevin Durant he's uh I think is the best I've seen him play probably on both sides of the ball but certainly offensively I think it's the best I've seen him shoot the ball which seems insane but he's absolutely become a better shooter since returning from his Achilles injury um and I don't know if that's just that because he had this injury he could do nothing but shoot um, and just work on, I don't, I, I don't know, I'd I, that's something, I guess, be a good question for him to ask, um, I feel like he's answered that before, I think he said something along those lines, I know Joel Embiid has certainly said that, when he was out with his foot injury in his rookie year, he did nothing but shoot, and that's why he's this, like, really polished, you know, face-up guy now, so I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like, at this point, regardless of whether, you know, whatever got us here, this is the best we've seen Durant shoot the ball he's, You know, career high in field goal percentage, uh, career high at the rim, career high in the mid-range is shooting just ridiculous percentages in the mid-range, career high on pull-ups. He's been outrageous. Um, And not only has he just been shooting the ball well, but if we go back to last year's series against Boston, if there was one time that we've ever felt like Durant has a weakness, it was as a lead facilitator. Boston put him in a lot of positions where... He made mistakes, and granted, the spacing around him wasn't good. The Nets did not put him in good position, you know, a good position at all to carve up that Boston defense. But his decision making wasn't great. And instead of shying away and having this bad series and letting it, you know, consume him or affect him, he took that head off. And he's been the best pick and roll ball handler in the league this year. His turnover percentage, as I believe, bottom 15, bottom 20 out of the pick and roll, which again, that was the big thing last year against Boston was the way he was turning over the ball in that setting, especially when Boston threw two, sometimes three bodies at him. And he's just been, I mean, it's what makes KD so great, right? Is that he has this series where he shows some sign of weakness and he just takes his biggest weakness and he makes it a strength the next year. It's fascinating to watch. He's been when he's blitzed in pick and roll, he's been early to get off the ball, he's been making the right reads to especially somebody like Nick Claxton with these bounce passes for Nick Claxton to get shots at the rim. Lobs have been happening here and there. Uh he's been really really good at making pick and pop reads. The Nets have been leaning into that a lot recently with Royce O'Neal, who had a bunch of threes. I don't remember what game that was. Maybe that was against I think that was against Milwaukee. Um Royce got three threes out of pick and pops and is because KD hit him with these super accurate passes when Royce you know went up to set a screen and slipped out to the top of the key or the top of the arc Um, that that's just been really nice for the Nets and just been a big luxury that he's been so good out of the pick and roll setting and a lot of their offense is based on that But the other thing that I think stands out to me is that the Nets, just their distribution between Kyrie and KD feels so much more sound. And I just remember saying, even early in this season, it just never felt like they could get those two guys going in the same game. And now it feels like that happens every single game. Cleveland was a great example. You had these guys kind of trading blows. I think Durant, I don't remember when he did his damage, maybe early in the second quarter. I know for sure Kyrie got going at the end of the second quarter. Um... And then we got to the fourth quarter. Kyrie had another scoring burst. Durant came in at around like the six-minute mark. He had a couple buckets. And then Kyrie kind of closed the game after, you know, the Nets had a little bit of trouble with, with blitzes. Um, he made some big plays at the end. So they've just been really good at distributing things between those two stars. Zach Lowe pointed this out. The Kyrie solo minutes have been insane. I think the Nets are... I I just looked it up. Damn, I think they're plus 18. Points per 100 possessions when Kyrie, when it's just Kyrie out there, which is a huge, huge thing for the Nets, um, that they're getting that type of production in the solo Kyrie minutes. That's not something that they've enjoyed and not something that they've experienced in previous seasons where Kyrie just running the show out there. So it shows you how well Kyrie's playing when it's just him. And that's been the big thing for me is that you're always, it's like kind of what we always envision for the Nets is that you're going to have one of these two all-time scorers out there and they're just going to get 48 minutes of crazy offensive production from these three-level guys. They're finally getting that. It's finally coming to fruition this year. Um, It's just been delightful. Kyrie's been, what can you say about Kyrie? He's been the best fourth quarter scorer in the league. Been just absolutely insane recently. The three balls started to trend up finally after a slow start. Um, He's just, he looks as good as ever. I mean, he's he's playing fifty, forty, ninety ball this month. I just don't know what else you can say about this guy. He's so good, <laughs> um, and that it's it's just uh, the offense in large part feels sustainable. Maybe not to quite to this level from these two, but getting this type of production and the way they're distributing their touches that does feel sustainable going forward. And it seems like they've really locked into how they want to play and how they want to distribute touches between those guys, which has always been the big question, as I've mentioned multiple times. Um, So that gives them a top—just having those two guys out there, that's going to make them a top five half-court offense. They've been top five in half-court offense and defense. They're one of only, I think, two teams to do that. But they're also getting some nice production from Ben Simmons, who has greatly, greatly changed this team in transition— the passes he makes in in transition to shooters on these crazy diagonal bounce passes. He's found guys like Royce O'Neal, Kyrie Irving, a couple other guys, Kevin Durant, running into threes. Joe Harris, when he gets back, he's another guy that can make shots like that. They've they've gotten all these easy looks because Ben Simmons is so good at lacing passes like that. Simmons is a good rebounder for his size, or just a good rebounder, period. So he'll grab rebounds and just push the pace. You know, it's the Magic Johnson comparison is the easy one to make. It's a good one to make. Um and it's just just having that element of not only being a good half court team, but also a team that can get it done in transition because of somebody like Ben Simmons. It just gives them another layer. It gives them another thing that they can they can show off. And he's been doing some things in the half court, experimenting with a floater game. We'll see how that goes. The hook game has been pretty nice. He's very confident with that right-handed hook shot. Little things for him to do. It's just the little, small breadcrumbs. I don't know if that's the right, <laughs> that's the right comparison, but um, yeah, I you know just the little things, the low-hanging fruit for him. He's been starting to pick. So that's been exceptional. Um, And and even in the settings where Simmons is sharing the floor with Nick Claxton, yeah, we've seen where it doesn't look right. I thought the first quarter against Cleveland wasn't great. You saw some spacing concerns. But in the third quarter against Cleveland, you started to see how the Nets are making it work between those two guys. Just having Simmons and Claxton out there is going to completely, completely change you defensively, especially when you're playing them next to Kevin Durant. You're just as hard to score on as they come. Um... But then offensively, they're doing little things. Uh, We saw, I think there was a play where Simmons screened for maybe KD or Kyrie. He rolled halfway and then batted up this little lob to Nick Claxton. I've compared that to Brooklyn's version, Nick Claxton and Simmons, to if they can get it going where Simmons is making plays out of the short roll. That can be like a Brooklyn version of Lob City with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. So we're seeing little instances of that. Um, there was a play where they used, um, I think it was Nick and Simmons as elevator screeners, where they're both setting screens to create a three-point shot. I think it was for Kyrie out of an out-of-bounds set. Um, there was a play where Simmons posted up, and I thought this was maybe my favorite play. He's posting up, and Nick Claxton went to, you know, sort of around the, the, the free throw line and and set a screen for Kevin Durant on his, on Kevin Durant's man to generate a catch-and-shoot three. So Simmons passes out of the post-up. Nick sets a screen, catch-and-shoot three for Kevin Durant. So they're finding ways around this. That's ultimately going to be how it is for the Nets, is that you're going to have to find ways around this. It's not going to be a natural thing um, like playing four in, one out. Or excuse me, one in, four out. Um, with one of Nick or Simmons on the floor and a bunch of spacers, you're going to have to find workarounds. But the Nets are starting to do that. And again, as I've said, that it pays dividends to have those guys on the floor defensively. Want to spend a little bit of time talking about TJ Warren, who has just been amazing. We saw against Atlanta, I think his legs were probably a little tired after playing 27 minutes, which was a season high for him against Cleveland, Um, but you're starting to see what he can do as a player. He is a great off-ball player, and I did this big video before the season, and the big thing that stuck out to me was how good of a cutter this guy is, how good he is at filling space. Um, You're seeing it even on offensive rebounds. He's really good at coming in from the weak side of the floor when his defender isn't looking or caught ball watching and sneaking in for offensive rebounds. He just has a really good feel for where to be on the floor and spacing, and that's huge. I mean, uh, Lucas Kaplan at Nets Daily kind of compared him loosely to Bruce Brown, not in terms of how they play, but just how good those two guys both are at finding areas on the floor, empty areas on the floor. TJ Warren is a guy like that. He's a good cutter. Um, You know, they've used him as a pick-and-pop threat with KD, but if the pick-and-pop isn't there... He'll cut to, you know, around the nail, the middle of the free throw line and catch the pass. And we know he's very lethal from the mid-range and take a shot from there. Um, They also, if he's using a pick and pop and he's run off the line, he can create for himself a little bit. We've even seen the Nets use him as a guy that can post up mismatches. There's just a lot you can do with him. He's a very dynamic offensive player. He's the perfect role player in the sense that he's not somebody that needs a ton of touches or you know, a ton of dribbles to get his. And actually, I think the less dribbles he takes, the better. So it's that's been a delight to watch. Uh, it's to watch him find himself in this offense. And it really is the perfect offense for him because of how good he is off the ball. Um, and, it, and it's allowed him to not have his weaknesses, which are mostly athleticism-based. He's got to be the... I mean, and that's, again, I watched this game with my dad. My dad was laughing at... <laughs> he was saying something along the lines of like, I don't think he's, he's never seen a guy jump that little off the floor to take jumpers. And I, I agreed. Um, he's not like this crazy athlete or anything. In fact, he's kind of like a Kyle Anderson type player where he's, when he goes downhill and drives downhill, he's so slow that it almost throws defensive players off. And, and that's who he is. Um, he's not this crazy athlete, but he makes it work. He's just a natural born scorer who's really good off-ball and is the perfect piece next to somebody like Kyrie and KD. Um, So he's been a, a really huge, huge addition and just a different player than anybody else on the roster, just as a guy that can create for himself a little bit. That's a huge luxury to have coming off your bench. That's a real deal third scorer in a large part on a minimum contract playing next to Kyrie and KD who are having just about the best offensive seasons in the league. So he's been a huge game game changer and he'll only get more and more comfortable um as the season progresses. So let's talk about well, let's talk about if it's sustainable and I'll loosely touch into we- touch on weaknesses is it sustainable? Um well they're sh- they're leading the league in three point percentage at 39%. Is that sustainable? Maybe, maybe not. Um there are certain guys like Udo Watanabe shooting whatever mid 50s <laughs> From three, that's probably not sustainable. I think there will be a regression that hits with Yuta. I do think he's improved as a shooter, but I don't think he'll quite stay at that level. Maybe somebody like Royce O'Neal, who's having a career-high year from three, he'll have a a light regression. But I still think they'll be a top three three three-point shooting team in the league. Some of the mid-range shooting will probably come down. So I think there is a regression due for this team, a light one. I do think they'll be you know, in large part, one of the best shooting teams from those two areas of the floor. But yeah, I I I think naturally because they're shooting so well, there is going to be some sort of regression that's due. And that's just, (laughs) that's just the course of an 82 game season. It's not a detriment to them or doesn't say anything bad about them. It's just, they're, they're like shooting out of their minds right now. Um, Weaknesses offensively. I guess it's paint touches, I guess, um, you know, I I go back and forth about how important paint touches are for teams, Um, you know, we'll bring up examples like the Suns, the Suns were a team that never get paint touches, and was that what doomed them last year, or was it just they kind of reached a ceiling in the regular season and didn't have that extra gear in the playoffs. So I'd probably lean more towards that. Does that come from their paint touches or lack thereof? Maybe, but I just don't see that with the Nets. I just, with having Kyrie and KD, just two guys that can get it done in the playoff setting the way they can. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe that'll be something that comes to mind. Um, I've seen people say that, <laughs> I saw this go around on Twitter that <laughs> Like, the league is conspiring against the Nets because they don't draw free throws. They're bottom two, maybe worse than the league. I don't remember what it was. Uh, free throws drawn, which, <laughs> guys, I just want to say, the league is not conspiring against the Nets with the refs. The reason they don't draw free throws <laughs> is because they're bottom three in the league and paint, and excuse me, it's shots at the rim. Those two things are heavily tied together because I uh, guess what? The other team that's bottom three in the league and shots at the rim is golden state and their fans say, Oh, the refs are conspiring against us. Steph never gets calls, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. So yeah, guys, that's what it's tied. to. (laughs) I just got a kick out of that. Um, So maybe that's a weakness is not getting the line as much and not getting, you know, touches inside the restricted circle. That could be a weakness. Um, Another one that I think could come to mind is we'll still see it in in certain instances the way they handle double teams and not double teams out of the pick and roll but when the nets are doubled like at half court at the end of games they have not been great in that setting they've been very good against you know zone defense but they have not been great in that setting we saw that against cleveland cleveland almost mastered a comeback against the nets just by doubling them at half court seen that happen to both Kyrie and KD and the Nets have not always made defenses pay with that so that could be something if you're throwing aggressive coverages at them that could be a weakness the Simmons Claxton front court could be a weakness but again as i've mentioned they've found workarounds to that and if they want to they can just separate those guys minutes completely to solve that problem so those are the main ones um but these are all very small weaknesses <laughs> in large part that can be solved just schematically or just through experience um and i guess that gets to where i'm at with them as a team we'll start first by just saying the rotation i feel great about their eight man rotation and that's why i'm not going to get into trades because realistically do i want to spend you know 20 minutes on a podcast talking about how the nets can improve their ninth man no i don't <laughs> i don't want to sit here and talk about how man if they improve seth curry's spot they can give they can get a guy that gives them whatever 10 good minutes in the first round and won't play that much in rounds after that. Because realistically, I believe in this top eight a lot. And I think they might have, I mean, maybe it's them in Boston, but they might have the best eight man rotation out of any playoff team right now. I feel pretty good about who these guys are putting out there in terms of their top end talent, but just the guys they have behind them. Like their starting lineup is, I believe in a lot. And then if they want to, they can sub out somebody like. Royce O'Neal, if he's slumping, which we've seen, he can be a little bit inconsistent for three. Uh, You could sub him out for Joe Harris in the starting lineup. Off the bench, you have TJ Warren, who I really feel like could be the best six-man in the league by the end of the year. and might even be starting. Um, You know, Yuta Watanabe, who's been just a revelation as a three and D guy. Um, And then one of Joe Harris or Royce O'Neal. That's your top eight. Like I believe in... All those guys. If there's one guy I might not believe in, it's Yuta Watanabe. If the three stops falling, but I think some of those changes that he's made and improvements with his outside shot could be pretty real. I think he might just be a plus shooter now. It's it like looking at it optically, it's a good looking shot. So, and that's that's your top eight. That's what you need for the playoffs. You just need eight guys you believe in. You know, maybe Seth starts look to look a little bit better, or maybe you flip him for. Whatever, a point of attack guy, or, you know, if you want to get a stretch big, if there is one out there, you could do something like that. But in large, in large part, I just feel really good about eight guys. And that was something the Nets did not have last year. It got very questionable after the first six guys. You know, you start to get into the, you know, boy, does, do we need to lean into James Johnson as, Is there a world where LaMarcus Aldridge can contribute? Like, it just got a little scary outside of the top six. This year is very different. You feel pretty good about these guys. So I'll answer the question now, since that's the title of this podcast. Is this the best team in the league? I think right now the Nets are the best equipped to play and beat just about anybody in the league right now. Does that make them the best in the league? Maybe, maybe not. I certainly think they're the most versatile just because of the way they profile on both sides of the ball, the, the way they're, they're defending and playing that hard and the strategy of having these seven-foot wings, as I put it, um, completely erasing all opportunities and then offensively just building it around these two guys having supernova offensive seasons and the spacing around those guys that allows them to cook but also gives the Nets... Three-point shots if teams double and the ball swings and finds a guy open for three. It's just a very sustainable methodology. And covering space the way they do defensively and making space, creating space on offense just makes me feel like this is a team that can beat just about anybody. And they've showed that this year. They They've Every single opponent that you could be worried about, they took care of the Bucks, and I've always felt good about that matchup since the beginning of the year. Just showed, hey, not only... Do we have the right players to guard your best players? Somebody like Royce O'Neal on Drew Holiday, uh, Ben Simmons, and a bunch of other guys on Giannis. We're actually more athletic than you guys this year without compromising the things that we do well. Uh, Cleveland, yeah, like you guys might have the rare thing that can torch us, which is a quick point of attack guard, but we have other ways to cover space and take advantage of your weaknesses, which are the wing position, really, Um, and we can take away ground from you that way. We have not seen them play Boston yet, and that is probably the only reason I can't quite put them as the best team in the league. I need to see them have a convincing victory over Boston. But I think they have a little bit, well, considerably higher ceiling offensively than Boston. Um, Just because Boston, as we've seen, the shooting can come and go, and that really changes who they are offensively. The Nets, I just believe in their shooting more. Honestly, I really do. Um, For as good as Boston has been, offensively this year um the nets just have more proven shooters on their team um and guys that have done it for longer and and I, and i think because of that yeah i i just i think they're more well equipped to take on a variety of opponents versus boston the questions come in hey if the three ball isn't falling there are certain opponents that can maybe give us trouble here and there um i'm sure boston fans could test you know test to that i don't know who's played them who's made it tough for them. I know Chicago's beat them a couple times. So the Nets just don't have that. The Nets don't really have any opponents that give them trouble, maybe other than Boston. So yeah, I think in large part they are the most versatile team. I feel the best about them against the other 29 teams in the league. There's just this one team they need to beat, and it's the team that I hope we get a playoff matchup. Once again, a playoff rematch with Boston. That's the team I just need to see them take care of business against. So we'll see and that will be what holds me back from saying they're the best team in the league, but I certainly think they're fighting for that number 1 spot. Um and I, and I honestly have a lot of trouble picking between those two teams right now, uh between Boston and Brooklyn as who's the best team in the league. Um and and that's that speaks to the Nets' growth, how far they've come since starting off 2 and 6. Um it's just been a fun ride this year. It's the most I've enjoyed covering this team again since I, since the you know, the Delo season. It's just been fun they've been playing an enjoyable brand of basketball and um can't wait to see what they do so yeah i just want to wish everybody a happy new year happy holidays um and hope you guys enjoyed this it's been fun to sit down and recap and just sort of talk about what i'm seeing out there um if i missed anything let me know uh hit me up on reddit twitter whatever um and say hey like you forgot to talk about this or hey can you talk about this next time and i'll, I'll get to it so Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this, go ahead and check us out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you check out podcasts. Um, And subscribe. Uh, Odd Episodes will happen. (laughs) I think that's the most I can... (laughs) That's the commitment I'm going to give on this podcast. Uh, But no, seriously, this has been fun. And uh, yeah, again, just want to wish everybody happy holidays, good health. Enjoy time with family, friends, loved ones. And I will talk to you guys next time. Peace.